0: So welcome everyone, we're going to introduce our theme this morning. It's kind of a weird theme, right? It's but God, Um, two little words that um, change everything, right? But I thought we would start with a grammar lesson. What does but mean? Um, It's a preposition, meaning with the exception of. So for an example, I might say nobody signed up online but me. Or it could be an adverb meaning only or just. For an example, you would say there is but one God. It can also be a conjunction, meaning contrary to expectation. Here's an example. That little girl cut her knee, but she didn't cry. The expectation is implied that because she cut her knee, she should have cried, but she didn't. So when we encounter the word, but when it's used as a conjunction and somebody's telling us a story, it should signal in our brain, hmm, something contrary to what is expected is coming. And did you catch that? What is coming is not what is expected. Now I'm going to tell you a true story. It's a long story, but it's a good story. Feel free to open your Bibles, if you have them, or your devices, to Genesis 37. We're going to kind of camp right there. Um, we're going to be going, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph, and his story is told in the book of Genesis from chapter 37 to 50. And we're not going to read all of that, but we are going to kind of follow along in the progression of the story. And so there was a man named Jacob who lived in the land of Canaan, and he had 12 sons. Now, even though today good parents don't play favorites, or they're not supposed to, in this time and in this place, Jacob did play favorites. You see, Jacob had two wives, one of them named Leah, Now, he was tricked into marrying her by his deceptive father-in-law. And then there was Rachel, whom he dearly loved and had worked for seven years in order to have the privilege of marrying her. So Jacob had two wives who were rivals and sisters. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) So I'm not going to get into all the family drama and the details, but let's just say that Leah, who was the unloved wife, She popped out seven children before God remembered Rachel and gave her two sons. She gave birth to Joseph and then later Benjamin. In all, Jacob had 12 sons, but only two were from his beloved Rachel. Joseph and Benjamin were the youngest sons born to his favorite wife. So this story is already setting up for some drama. When Joseph was about 17 years old, he was out working with his older brothers in the field. And they must have been doing something they shouldn't have done because we hear that Joseph goes back and tattles on them to his father and said, you know, hey, they were doing this bad thing. Um, And so let's look at Genesis 37, verses 3 to 4. Who has that? Oh, Sandy. Now Israel loved
1: Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him.
0: So we already have tension in this household because you've got favored wife and not favored wife and their rivals. And then we've got Joseph who's tattletaling on his older brothers. And now Joseph is, um, you know, he alienated himself more by telling on them. And then Jacob makes it worse by giving him this beautiful robe. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, the brothers couldn't even say anything nice to him. I mean, it says in there on two different occasions, they had nothing nice to say to him. So then, to make things worse, in Genesis 37, we hear about this dream that Joseph has where not only not just his brothers but his father even bows down to him. And the the text tells us twice they hated him even more. His father even rebuked him for this one and he said in verse 10, this is Genesis 37, verse 10. He says, "Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you?" Foreshadowing. Let me just foreshadowing. If you're not familiar with the story, um, so his brothers were jealous of him. They hated him, and so one day they saw they saw him coming to check on him, and they launched the plan. We're going to kill him. Here he comes, and we're going to kill him. Now Reuben, he was the oldest brother and he's like, eh, I don't want this blood on my hands, and said, we don't have to kill him, but maybe we'll just throw him in this pit. And so they tore off his robe and they threw him in an empty cistern. Now, it's not like a cistern, like in my mind, a cistern is like just this little, you know, it's kind of a smallish container that holds water and it's not, not the biggest thing. I haven't seen these. These at this time were huge. I mean, if you got, if you got in it, you couldn't get out of it. Um, so, so he's in the pit he's in, it's empty, he's in there now interestingly Reuben thought he could come back later and rescue him, why? we don't know maybe he wanted to gain favor with his father Reuben was the oldest and maybe he wanted to, to gain favor with his father maybe to show mercy we don't know but poor Joseph he's hated, he was attacked by his brothers and he's sitting in a pit that he can't get him out, himself out of Genesis 37 tells us that they are sitting up there eating a meal while he's begging for mercy in the pit. And later, we see that the brothers admit their guilt and they give us some additional insight to what's happening in this moment with Joseph in the cistern. So who has Genesis 42:21? Okay. So they admit that there was anguish in Joseph's soul and they're eating a burger or their little picnic lunch or whatever it is. And their brother is in the cistern crying out for his life. Don't you know Joseph was probably wondering, where are you, God? This doesn't feel good. I'm hurting. I'm scared. I'm abandoned and alone. I just want to go home. Have you ever been there, ladies? Have you felt yourself abandoned, cold and lonely in a pit, crying out to God for help, but feeling like no one is listening because your circumstances aren't changing? The truth in your situation is the same truth that was in Joseph's situation that day. Though his brothers thought they were getting away with some master plan, they forgot that God was watching and that God was still in control. And God is still watching and he is still in control, even if you feel abandoned sitting in a pit. Sometimes that pit seems like it'll go on forever. But that is an earthly viewpoint. God is looking at our situation just as we are looking at Joseph's. We know that Joseph's situation is temporary. We know the end of the story before the beginning of the story. And we know now that God used this situation to put Joseph exactly where he needed to be. God looks at our situation just like he looked at Joseph's. But at that moment, Joseph didn't have that trust. He didn't know that. He was a scared 17 year old boy sitting in a pit of despair. And so picture it. So here's Joseph, he's in the pit. He hears a ruckus around the top of the cistern and a rope comes down and he's like, "Woo! I'm rescued. God heard my cries. I'm rescued from this pit. Yeah, Joseph was rescued from the pit, but he wasn't rescued from his problems. In some ways they were just beginning. Now he's being sold into slavery and taken to a foreign land because as chances chance would have it, as Morgan taught us when we studied um, Ruth, um, a band of tradesmen were coming, were just happened to be coming along right where they were and they were on their way to Egypt And the brothers sold Joseph to them for 20 shekels of silver. That was about the going rate of a slave at that time. And can't you just hear Joseph going, God, like, this was not the rescue that I had in mind. Where are you? And so now Joseph is living in a foreign land and he's in servitude to an Egyptian. And it seems like a pretty crummy situation. But then we get some additional information about the story and about Joseph's situation that helps to turn his little frown upside down. The scriptures tell us that Joseph was a slave in Egypt, but God was with him. What is happening is not what is expected. Kent Hughes writes, from all appearances, Joseph had been abandoned by God and man. Joseph possessed every human reason for distrust and bitterness. Common logic demanded that he cherish and nurture thoughts of revenge. But Joseph made a different choice, a most remarkable choice. As he shuffled through the dust to Egypt, he chose to trust God with his life and ultimately to forgive. Can someone read Genesis 39 verses 2 to 5?
1: His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was in Joseph uh, on all that he had in the house and
0: field. So we could summarize all that we've learned about Joseph with this statement. Joseph's brothers hated him. They stripped him, they threw him in a pit, they sold him into slavery in Egypt. But God was with him. Remember our grammar lesson from earlier? But uses as a conjunction means that what is to follow isn't what is expected. We would have expected this summary to say Joseph's brothers hated him, stripped him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery in Egypt, and he was all alone and everything was awful and horrible and was never going to get better. I mean, that's really what we would have expected. Um, but God, those two words change everything. They changed the entire story. But God was with Joseph, so he wasn't actually alone. Even though things felt awful, it wasn't going to be that way forever. In Genesis 39, we see Joseph rising in the blessings of God, but also falling due to the wickedness of Potiphar's wife. Rather than dishonor his God and his master, he ran away from her advances, which led him Led to him being sent to prison. Um who has Genesis thirty-nine
1: verse twenty-one? Okay. But the Lord was with oh. But the Lord went with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison.
0: Joseph was sent to prison, but God was with him but God changes this entire story. And so you can see how our initial definition plays out here. What happens after the word, but is contrary to what you would expect. Um, You know, we would expect it to say, Joseph was sent to prison and it was awful, but no, Joseph was sent to prison, but God was with him and he prospered and was put in charge of all the other prisoners. So as we think about our story of Joseph, the good times don't last forever. Joseph interprets some dreams and for Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker and asks the cupbearer specifically to remember him once he was restored to his position. Joseph helped the cupbearer, but the cupbearer did not remember him. Warren Rearsby says, Our God is so great that he can work out his purposes even when people are doing their worst. After two long years, the cupbearer did remember Joseph. Finally, when the king had some troubling dreams, Joseph interpreted those dreams and told the king they meant that a famine was coming, and Joseph offered a fabulous plan. And the king liked the plan. He could tell that the Spirit of God was with Joseph and essentially gave him the keys to Egypt. He gave him a wife who bore him sons, and everyone in Egypt reported to him. I mean, Joseph was number two in all of Egypt. Who has Genesis 41, 50 to 52? So notice Joseph's attitude here. I mean, and we see it in in how he named his children. I mean, if y'all think back to when we studied Ruth, Naomi wanted to change her name because she was miserable, right? She wanted to be called Mara, um, and I don't remember exactly why. I just know it had negative connotations. But but Joseph chose these very encouraging names for his son. So what do you think that showed? For his attitude. Like, what was his attitude here? Was he, he bitter? Des- he never deserted his spiritual heritage. He never deserted his spiritual heritage. Mm-mm. He wasn't bitter. You know, he wasn't bitter and angry, even though his brothers had mistreated him. I mean, He was left in a pit, he was sold into slavery, he was falsely accused, he was imprisoned, he was forgotten. I mean, if the world were to say, you're allowed to be bitter and angry, I think Joseph would be allowed to be bitter and angry. But God was with him. And he didn't hold on to all of that stuff. Warren Wearsby says that Genesis 37 to 50 is much more than a piece of dramatic literature for when you penetrate deeper, you discover a story abounding with profound theological implications. The hand of God is evident in every scene, ruling and overruling the decisions people make. And in the end, God builds a hero and saves a family and creates a nation that will bring blessings to the entire world. Behind this story is the heart of the covenant-making God who always keeps his promises. So back to our story, and we'll make a long story short here. The brothers end up traveling to Egypt during the famine, and they actually bow down to Joseph without realizing it was his brother. Now, I do think it's kind of funny, um, Joseph exacts a little bit of revenge on them, um, making them kind of sweat in their sandals as he, um, you know, before revealing his true identity to them in Genesis 45. Um, who has Genesis 45, 3 to 7? I Okay.
1: Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead, of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance.
0: So if we just stopped there at verse 6, if we just stopped at verse 6, it would be, okay, there's a famine, it's been going on for two years, and it's going to go on for five more years. There's not going to be any harvesting. There's going to be no food. We're all going to starve. We're all going to die. But then verse 7, the two words at least in the NIV, has the the two words that change everything. Joseph says, but God sent me ahead of you. R.C. Sproul said in his Reformation Study Bible, in this narrative of forgiveness and reconciliation, Joseph represents a model of submission to God's eternal and benevolent purpose. All the evil done to him by his brothers was only part of God's secret plan designed for the good, not only of Joseph, but also of his wicked brothers. We learn that all things work together to accomplish God's excellent purpose, not only for us who presently love God, but for the great multitude that will comprise the everlasting city. And so in our story, Joseph is reunited with his family, all 12 brothers and his father and all their family and all their stuff. And they move to Egypt and they settle there and they even thrive during the famine. Things seem OK until Jacob dies. Remember, Jacob's the father. The, the brothers apparently have not truly accepted Joseph's forgiveness, and they now worry that their lives are in danger. Warren Wearsby says for 17 years, Joseph's brothers lived under a cloud of fear and apprehension, all because they didn't really trust him. As long as their father was alive, they trusted in human ties to protect them. But when Jacob died, their only defense was gone. Had they believed Joseph, they could have enjoyed those years with him and their father, and there wouldn't have been this cloud of fear to rob them of joy. Sometimes our fear of what would logically follow in our situation robs us of the joy of trusting God in the moment. So let's finish up this story in Genesis 50. I've got a long passage. I don't know who I gave it to. Genesis 50 verses 15 to 21.
1: Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongdoings they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke, them.
0: So here we see these fearful brothers being reassured by Joseph that though they had with wicked hearts committed evil against them, against him, God worked it all out for good. It's interesting though that Joseph doesn't forget to call out their sin. I mean, he said, you, you know, he says it clearly, you intended to harm me and that wasn't right. We can forgive someone for their sin against us, but it doesn't mean that what they did to us is okay. They still need to come before God and ask for forgiveness and repent of that. Um, but what is so beautiful about Joseph's story is that he believed God was with him even if he didn't feel God was with him. He knew his present circumstances were not going to last forever. He knew Romans eight twenty eight which says, and we know that all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purposes. He knew that was true before Paul had even written it down. And so when your present circumstances sound like everything is going downhill, remember what you know to be true about God and add those two little words that can change everything but God. I don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet, but God will never forget the needy. I can't see a way out of this pit and I feel alone, but God has surely listened and heard my prayer. But God are the two words that change everything. It means that what is coming is not what's expected. The enemy intended for that terrible thing to harm you but God intended it for good. God is the only one that can take something horrible and use it for something wonderful. Only God can do that. The life of Joseph is a beautiful illustration of the sovereignty of God and the hope that we have in the struggles of life. God can redeem your story and he can work all things for good. So I want to hear your God stories over the next, you know, ministry year. Um, I would love to hear them. And I think it's important for us to share them with others. Um, People, you know, we, God doesn't work in our life to have us hide that work under, you know, a bubble, under, under a bowl where that light can't shine. So I want to hear them. Um, I want you, I want to challenge you. I want you to Think about the but God moments of your life. And then throughout the week, I want you to look for some but God moments. Because remember, those two words change everything.